Yo, what's going on guys? Joaquin Rivera here with episode number two of the Quick Mitts podcast and it's hockey time. So much stuff to cover now here in the Canadian bubble hockey tournament, the COVID cup, whatever you want to call it, I call it heaven. Let's begin. Like I said, this is episode number two of the Quick Mitts podcast. First of all, where are we? We're in Canada. Our two bubble locations, one in Edmonton for the Western Conference teams, one in Toronto for the Eastern Conference teams. This has been really fantastic to see how this was all going to be set up and how this was going to work out. While we were talking about this a few months ago, it was kind of hard to fathom exactly how it was going to work. Really, I was going through a roller coaster of emotions when it came to wanting everything to kind of come back, as well as almost about a month before it actually did come back, wondering whether it even made sense to do so. How was this going to impact next season? How is this going to impact the draft and free agency and everything else? And it seemed like there were so many headaches. We got the madness that is the draft lottery, which continues to be a storyline with everything else right now. But, you know, when it came to something as simple as just getting back into playing hockey, that was going to be an interesting thing too. What was that going to look like? And so far, I think it's fantastic. So you look at what the NBA has done and what the NHL is doing, and I think they really have it done right. Whether you think or not, these athletes are are in legitimate danger of, of getting sick is, is not an argument I'm here to have right now. This is about whether positive tests will happen, because that determines whether the games will continue to be played or not. You look at the issues baseball is having right now, I think the clock is ticking on when that sport is going to have to cancel or at least drastically change what they're doing. I just don't see how that's going to work. All the talk about the NFL going and continuing with travel, how large their roster sizes are and everything else, good luck to you. I have no idea how that's going to work out in your favor. You know, the NBA and the NHL and the UFC and how they manage to do everything, the bubble system is going to work. You test people like crazy before they get in. Once they're in, you continue to test them. And then once you have everyone in and locked in, how is it going to affect, you know, continuing on? It it looks like both of these sports have figured it out and are ready to to move on from this. And so far, so good, I think, from both of them. So from that aspect, you know, you can kind of throw that out the window now and we can look at it for just what it is. And we're getting to see these sports at the highest level at this point of the season. Now, again, whether this is, you know, the same level of intensity right from the get-go, given that both sports were on such a large break, yeah, you can argue that as well. And I think things are going to start to pick up as they kind of have. But for the most part, I don't think that's something we really have to worry about. The other point I wanted to note before we really got into the games themselves and everything else once we got into the bubbles was what it looks like inside. Now, what it looks like optically on the outside we'll get to in a moment, but one of the first really cool things I noticed right away that you had a couple players in the NBA showing you what it's like inside the bubble. First of all, it's really cool to get to see 
a behind the scenes like deal. I love all those like 24 seven HBO series that they did for the winter classic and everything else. And, and you get a real, you know, look into the locker rooms and seeing all that. I love all that type of stuff. I know people uh, hate on hard knocks and things like that for the NFL, but again, I love seeing that side of things. So I think it's really cool. Really, no matter what the scenario is or the situation, it's fun when there is maybe something juicy going on with that particular team. But even if there isn't, I still like seeing what's going down. So for me to see some of those NBA players come out, you had um, Matisse Thibel for the 76ers really has the best one, in my opinion. I think you, JaVel McGee for the Lakers did it as well. Nothing against his. And it's not even that the fact that Thibel plays for the 76ers. But it's just really well done. He's a young player. He's a rookie. He does all the editing himself. And it's really just well done. It's well executed. So for one thing, it's just a cool insight in itself. But on top of that, I've brought this up many times before on other shows and podcasts. And and the NHL has a personality problem in that they need to showcase their stars or just regular players more often in easier ways. It doesn't help the fact that a lot of people feel like hockey players don't tend to have a lot of personality or it's not frowned upon, but it's just you don't see a lot of guys showing their personality. And then when they do, you almost see a ton of comments where people kind of focus on, oh, I've seen too much of that guy. Generally, you know, the prime example of that is P.K. Subban. He is someone that has no problem showing his personality and tends to show his exuberance often off the ice, his workouts and all of these things. And it tends to come with a lot of criticism, which is crazy to me because I think it's great for the game to get to see these guys' personalities and really try to grow it on that aspect as well. Now, you have a little bit of that with players kind of showing off with their fashion sense and things. Like, that's great. I have no problem with that. But I think this is a much better way where, again, you don't have to force anyone to do this. I just thought it would have been a really cool thing if there was a player that did something similar to what these, you know, couple of NBA players were doing, showing what it's like inside the bubble. I think that would be great. I think a lot of people would want to see that. Not that I even have a particular player in mind of who I'd want to see do that, but I just think it would be a really cool thing. And I think it's just, again, part of what the NHL needs more of when it comes to personalities in the game. And I I just think this would have been a really cool opportunity to get to do something like that. But when it comes to the actual looks of the place, you know, the optics and the sounds were something that I think people were also curious about. We're talking about playoff hockey. Now, when it comes to hockey, it's kind of looked behind a lot of the other sports in so many ways due to popularity. I think there's a million reasons for that. We're not going to get into all that right now. But, you know, a lot of people say hockey doesn't translate well on TV, but they say at the same time it's their favorite live sporting event to go to. So, you know, there's interest there, but, you know, people aren't really locked into storylines and things like that. So you're, you're looking more at visuals. A lot of people who, again, who would consider themselves casual hockey fans do find themselves saying that playoff hockey is one of the best of any of the sports. That it just the excitement, the crowd, everything really gets you involved. How much is there not being a crowd going to affect how much more it translates onto television, right? Because people tend to make that argument. And when I looked at it, I wasn't really sure how it was going to look, whether it was going to be as nice. Uh, It seemed to be a large part of the focus when it came to NBA and the NHL. I don't really like what the NBA did when it comes to, you know, using like the the fans that kind of surround the outside of the gym. Overall, I think both are a smashing success with, with how they look and how it sounds and how everything works. But when I look at the giant, like the fans are bigger than they would normally be and where they have them just kind of around. I think it looks a little weird. But for the most part, I really like the graphics that both the NBA and the NHL have implemented in this scenario. Because, you know, you have the opportunity now 
where there are no fans. You don't want to focus on empty stands. The NHL covered up the stands primarily. And in the NBA, they really focused on using a lot of large graphics that they have screens that kind of come up when a guy's at the free throw line. You can kind of all behind him, it's showing like different graphics showing the team and stats and that player and everything else. And I just think optically it looks really good. And I think the NHL's is the same. I like the covering over the stands. And I think I just think it it, it overall looks better than just an empty gym. Like it doesn't it's not depressing looking or I'm not focusing on the fact that fans aren't there, which I think at first was a focus. But for me it really didn't take long to move on from that. The other thing was the sound because there was talk about adding crowd noise and i realized that immediately it's not a problem at all because I've, I've listened to it if you're really sitting there and focusing on it and you're really paying attention to the fact that you know sound effects are being put in and how intense maybe someone has to be kind of ready for things to, to throw that sound in although i believe there is a delay as well but if you're focusing on all of that i can see it being kind of an issue where you know you're noticing it and you're like this kind of sucks if you don't think about that and you just watch the game and you hear those kind of sound effects when something happens just as it's supposed to, kind of like, you know, there's a shot um, that just misses the net or something and you kind of hear the crowd kind of <gasps> sigh and make noise and obviously there's no one there. But the, they add it in and to me it sounds good. It sounds normal. I, that's what I would expect. It's almost like it's the reaction that I'm having, I'm hearing, and it just kind of fits. It's still, you know, if you're not focusing on the fact that there's no one actually there and, you know, where is the sound coming from, it just kind of fits well. It, it works well. I think it could have been a bit of a joke when you first heard them talking about pumping in crowd noise. Why would you do that? Does that really make sense? You know, it feels like it'd be more distracting than anything else. When you're watching it and seeing it, it feels like it worked really in theory and execution. I'm, I'm overall happy with how everything looks so far. What came next after that was practice games. You had to get guys in there playing a few games. I mean, there was some initial discussion when it came to, you know, just a couple weeks of practice, and we saw some guys that may or may not have come in contact with some people who tested positive for COVID. Did they have to sit out? Was there going to be some quarantining? Yes, all those things happened. None of it really something we need to focus on. So the next thing, again, was the practice games, which, again, the results of those means nothing. But what immediately came was the protests. Now, I feel it makes sense to mention this now because it is a topic worth discussing. You see a lot of, you know, with the NBA, there was no question that there was going to be an overwhelming majority of players protesting the anthem or at least showing their voice. You saw that as well in the NBA, they allowed them to put some level of message on the back of their uniform. So, you know, you, you knew things like that were going to come from the NBA and it made more sense, especially given that this is, you know, the issues going on in our society right now are heavily about, you know, the fair treatment of African-Americans in this society. And given the, the overwhelming majority of African-American athletes in the NBA, you know, that was an obvious thing. Now, the NHL, that's a vastly different situation, given that there is a extremely small minority of African-American players in the NHL. On top of that, there's such a large amount of, of players from Canada or from all other countries, you know, surrounding the United States there's still a large amount of American players in the game, but it's not the overwhelming majority like we're talking about other North American-based sports. So the level of protest was just going to be different outright. And when it, when it comes to this, you know, how was the NHL going to respond? How are fans going to then respond? I was very happy with just showing some level of unison. To me, it, it, again, it doesn't have to be a direct 
protest of the anthem. That was one choice from Colin Kaepernick, which again, you can go back and I can tell you back in 2016, I supported him then and I support him now. And that message I continue to support. But it doesn't have to be that directly to then share your voice and opinion. That was just what he did to create enough of a stir for people to pay attention. Did that have to be exactly how anyone else did it in any other form or medium? No. You just had to do it in some way if it's something you felt strongly about. But it didn't have to be about the anthem, given that it's not about the anthem at all. Again, it's a, it's a matter of choice of protest. But how would this happen in the NHL? How would this be represented in the NHL was something I was curious about. Now, you saw a lot of what the NHL chose to do immediately was having players intertwine between them and the other team, and they have their arms crossed, and it's showing a level of unity. And we had immediate, you know, matchups that were rivalry, so it made it, you know, it was a bit jarring to see the Penguins and the Flyers standing, you know, next to each other the way that they were, and some of the other uh, matchups that we saw. And I thought it was, you know, I thought it was a great thing, but I didn't want to think too much about it. I thought that the way they did it was fine. I didn't expect someone to kneel. Again, the actual act of kneeling isn't what's important. <laughs> Again, it's the message that needs to be important. The protest is to just get you to think about the fact that there is a message that they want to come through. It's not the specific protest in itself, which far too often is being, you know, is taking away from what the messages are in these situations. So that's my one difficulty with that at this point, in that it becomes, you know, will they or won't they, you know, kneel for the anthem as opposed to what we're trying to talk about. So the NHL immediately did that. I loved it. You, you know, you still had people coming out and, and right away complaining, not liking it. But then you also had people saying, at least they're not kneeling. I'll take that. And again, focusing on all the wrong things. And it's just, it's still frustrating to see it go that way. But again, I'm happy that the NHL was doing it the way they were. Then you had a game where Matt Dumba actually came out, one of the more prominent black players in the game from Minnesota. Well, he's on the wild. He's not from Minnesota, but actually I believe he's Canadian. <laughs> but point being, uh, one of the more prominent names and faces, you know, more recognizable players to utilize in this situation and someone that was willing to speak from the heart. And I think it was great to have him there and utilize that time. Again, Minnesota is there at the time in this situation. They were still live and in this you know, competition. So, you know, he wasn't playing in that game, but he came out to speak while I believe it was a game between Edmonton and Chicago because I then, yeah, Darnell Nurse, one of the black players for Edmonton and and then Malcolm Subban, the, the backup goaltender for the Chicago Blackhawks, you know, joined him while he spoke. And I just think it was it was a positive thing. It was a good thing to see from from where I'm at. And but then with that came the first actual instances of kneeling. And again, not an issue, not a problem for me. You saw Ryan Reeves do it as well for the Golden Knights. And in that game, Robin Leonard joined him, someone who had previously come out in support of Donald Trump. Now he's Swedish and not an American citizen either. But he's come out and said, look, he really changes his viewpoints on where he was at before and felt like it made sense for him. You also saw they were playing the Dallas Stars in that one. Tyler Sagan and Dickinson, I believe, kneeled for the Dallas Stars. What came out from that was, you know, Tyler Sagan. Someone asked him, I believe it was Ryan Reeves, asked him, you know, if he was willing to do it. And he said, absolutely. And then he went back to his team and asked if anyone else would be willing as well. And Tyler Sagan is one of the players we've seen kind of more prominently behind this since we've you know since all of this has come forth and you're seeing a lot more activism from athletes and there wasn't a lot of white 
hockey players or really white athletes specifically in any of the sports that were coming forth as much as I feel like Sagan has in the last little while. And immediately, you know, you see the criticism of people saying he's only doing it for social media. I understand the blurred lines that are there and how people will then question, you know, the legitimacy of someone's intentions. And I really don't want to sit here and nitpick and, and focus on things like that, but people are immediately going to do that. When it came to Sagan, I wasn't sure, if I'm perfectly honest. I wasn't sure how to feel right away, whether it felt genuine or not. He's always someone. Look, if, if we're being serious and being uh, honest, it, that's very good at portraying himself in a positive light on Instagram. And look, this is a great guy. So there's not like there's any, he's not covering something up. But at the same time, it's someone who, who's aware of their social media presence and good about it. So just those those thought processes come in when discussing something like this. And But I just, the more I see it, the more I just feel like this is just him being himself and trying to genuinely feel something. He came out with a statement a while back saying how, you know, he's really using this opportunity to learn more and, and use his voice and his opportunity. and and I love it. And I think it's great. Yes, there are people that are upset about it saying, oh, this is the last hockey game I'll watch now and blah, blah, blah. What you want out of this, obviously, is the actual unity. You want people to, to realize that there's no reason for division. But then there's people who outright feel that this is creating more division, which I don't, I'm not on that side of things, but I'm not here to argue your point of view right now. But primarily the people that seem to be the angriest about it you know, don't have a real legitimate reason, in my opinion. So, you know, if, if the racists are the angriest people out of all of this, then I think we're okay in what we're doing here. So it was a prominent thing to notice, um, given that it's happening in all of the sports. And I think it's worth just at least discussing that in itself. We're talking about a sport that, that doesn't have a lot of minority players. And I think it's a good thing when we get to show those players and represent those players and hear their voices as well. So again, I think there's positivity to come from all this. There's going to be a lot of people who are upset about the little things beforehand. If it really bothers you that much, it's so easy to just turn the game on 15 minutes later than you would have. The anthems are over, the pregame is over, and puck drop is generally about eight or nine minutes after the specific time anyway. Add another five onto that and, you know, you're probably maybe you miss a minute of game time. Like, it doesn't make sense to me to complain about that or say you're not going to watch the sport altogether because of, you know, these displays. I'm happy the players are showing their voice. I'm happy that these displays are happening. And I'm happy that hockey's back. So let's get to the actual games because, man, there's been a lot so far. So what we started with was four teams in the East and four teams in the West that had gotten into the playoffs officially. So they just needed to figure out seeding. In the West, it's the Vegas Golden Knights, the Dallas Stars, the St. Louis Blues, and the Colorado Avalanche, the Boston Bruins, the Philadelphia Flyers, the Tampa Bay Lightning, and the Washington Capitals. Everyone else was in a playoff-style format already, a best-of-five uh, series for the rest of the remaining teams to try to get into the playoffs. So you've got some teams already on both sides that really had no business still being in this tournament, but not getting to finish out the regular season put us in this predicament. This was kind of a best case scenario. Let's see who can officially get in. Now on top of that, we also have the ridiculous drama that is the draft lottery. They did do the draft lottery uh, before all of this got started. And what we realized was going to happen was one of these spots in the lottery was going to go to one of the teams still going and performing in the bubble. It was going to be a new lottery for the remaining teams once we figure out who got eliminated. And those eight that got eliminated from the bubble first 
And outside of the real playoffs, where now we have the top 16, everyone else, we were going to you know, put those guys back in a blender and find out who was going to get one of the other picks. What was most insane uh, around all of this was we found out that the number one pick was going to be someone out of the bubble. So the one remaining pick that we didn't have was going to be a team that technically still had a chance to compete and get into the playoffs. So that has a lot of people questioning, you know, I mean, especially because we're talking about a player in Alexis Lafreniere that is anticipated to be an extremely high-level prospect that can help a team immediately. So you look at a lot of the bottom-dwelling teams that would really need a player like this, and it really becomes that much more unfortunate for a lot of people in their minds to think about the team that's going to get him instead of the team that really deserves him the most. And you look at, you know, just how pathetic the Detroit Red Wings were this season. You look at the... Con- consistent cycle of despair that has been there for the Buffalo Sabres. These are teams that really needed a player like this, and they're not going to get him. And what infuriated a lot more people, and will continue to do so right now, as I believe we'll find out tomorrow. So by the time this actually airs, I think we'll know where he's going, but I'm giving you my point of view right now. I'll likely finish recording this tomorrow anyway, once we get that information, and when I find out tonight who wins uh, one of the final playoff spots. But it was just, it's an unfortunate thing when you look at a lot of the teams that are, you know, in the running for Lafreniere, especially when you look at Pittsburgh and Edmonton and potentially Toronto and a lot of teams like this. So it's frustrating for a lot, but I'm really trying to not focus on that so much yet. Again, we'll find out that fate, I believe, tomorrow. So we'll worry about that later. For what's went down already, let's not even waste any time setting this up any sort of way. We've already got the Oilers, Penguins, Rangers, Panthers, Wild, Predators, and Jets out. We are waiting on the Leafs and Jackets. Again, I'll probably finish recording tomorrow after there is a deciding Game 5 between the Leafs and the Blue Jackets tonight. Um, Should be coming up in about an hour or so as I'm recording right now. Um, So we'll make sure to get that in there before this goes out, but... A lot of big names already out. No McDavid at this point in time anymore. No Crosby. Uh, Artemi Panarin, who's one of the nominees for the Hart Trophy, is out. The Rangers were out quick, man. They had three games. They had One of them, I think, was a back-to-back as well. They were in the bubble for like 10 days. That includes practice and quarantine. So the Rangers really had the quickest stay. McDavid came out on fire for the Oilers. Uh, you know, an old tweet resurfaced from Adrian Dater, who's... Uh, a former writer, or he still is a writer, but formerly for the Denver Post, coming out and basically talking about how bland McDavid is and that he doesn't really inspire his teammates and that even his lack of personality has the opposite effect and said that it, it actually is, you know, drowning his teammates. It's just a, such a ridiculous premise, and I get that he's trying to probably just make a hot take and it probably isn't too serious, I would hope. But of course, McDavid was phenomenal in the short period of time we got to see him uh, in a series against the Chicago Blackhawks. The 12 seed, Chicago Blackhawks, moving on, the Oilers are out. You can look at the Blackhawks, and I think in a lot of ways, and say, man, I guess, you know, you still had a lot of the core of that team there. Duncan Keith is playing well again. Jonathan Taves had a great series. Patrick Kane stepped up and scored multiple big goals in this little series. Corey Crawford, you know, was still on this team when they had two rings, and he looks good or has two rings of the the three that they've won in the last decade. So you look at this Blackhawks team and you say, man, that's maybe not a team I want to face if they're if they're hitting on all cylinders right now. <laughs> I would have thought that when it came to McDavid and Drysaddle, you know, two guys in their primes. 
both scoring over 100 points again. Um, you know, Drysaddle likely the MVP of the league. McDavid, the clear frontrunner as the best player in the world, which is another conversation that can be had briefly. Um, when we talk about the other guy who's been eliminated, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, the clear pair you can kind of compare Drysaddle and McDavid to in a lot of ways. Guys that are, you know, essentially center icemen. Do you play them together? Do you split them up? Or how good can their team be based on where these guys are in the lineup? You know, you put them together, they're putting up a ton of points. You split them up, they weren't doing as much. That kind of changed over the last year or so as Drysaddle's really able to kind of handle his own and prove that this year at different times when McDavid was out. We don't get to see these guys anymore. I was really curious what they were going to continue to do. McDavid still just doesn't get enough help from the rest of the team, whether it be a lack of defense, whether it be a lack of secondary scoring. Just when it's needed the most, it's not there. McDavid proves that he can kind of do whatever he needs to do at his moments, but you really needed more from the rest of the group. Mike Smith just had a, a really bad first game, and all of a sudden, now it's on Koskinen. I don't dislike Koskinen, but that was just a really bad start to that series, and that put them in the hole that they were in. Then you look at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh loses to Montreal, the other 12 seed, but on the Eastern Conference. Uh, so you look at Chicago and Montreal teams that had no business really being in this tournament, are both moving on, and names like McDavid and Dreisaitl and Crosby and Malkin are eliminated already. But, you know, you look at that side of things, Crosby, who I would still fight for in a lot of different ways, as much as I hate the Penguins, to say that he is still, I would consider, the best player in the world in so many ways. And then you saw the goals that McDavid scored in these playoffs, and it's like, all right, I'll shut up. I, you know, it's not a debate that we're trying to have at this current moment, but I still want to look at situations and where I would utilize Crosby uh, and how I still feel that he, he he can prove that he's the best technically. But then McDavid just does things that no one can touch skill-wise right now. And it's just terrifying. But all of these big names are out. Carey Price shut the door on the Pittsburgh Penguins. And looked like the old MVP Carey Price from about four years ago. But for now, let's just stick with the teams that are out. And we'll, we'll focus on the new matchups here in, in a moment. So we talked about the Rangers briefly, you know, being eliminated quickly. There was a lot initially with that matchup where it was intriguing because you look at the regular season matchup and Carolina had actually won all four or five matchups throughout the regular season. So there was some intrigue there. But the Rangers, like I said a few moments ago, were out in about 10 days. So they were gone. Oilers gone. The Penguins gone. One of the other series, there was two other series that I did not pay much attention to. I just wasn't, they weren't intriguing matchups to me. And I was just, you know, let's give me the team that gets out of this and we'll move on from there. Because just because there was so much to cover. This was this was a qualifier more than it was the real playoffs. We kept calling them the playoffs, but this was a qualifier. So the other two series that I did, I watched the least, I will admittedly mention that I watched these two series the least. That is the Panthers and the Islanders and the Wild and the Canucks. I'm sure you could have guessed that. Because there's probably an interest. there's a legitimate interesting storyline coming out of just about every other matchup than these. But the Panthers is a, is a team that I think is trending in the right direction. They made some interesting moves. They made some good moves. Um, but they're still reeling a bit from some decisions. I've, I've mentioned this time and time again that they should not have made when you go back to the expansion draft around Vegas. They gave up a lot back then. They have a lot of money, little, little money situations they need to figure out as well. When you look at their roster, they got the right coach in, in Joel Quinville. And I think you signed Bobrovsky, but the numbers did not match his performance this season. You're paying him a lot of money, and it's really just not 
what you wanted. It kind of changed as the year went on, but this was a team that could score a ton of goals but could not stop anything. So a tough time for the Panthers. But they, they faced a very stingy Islanders team that is, I'm sorry, aesthetically one of the harder teams to watch. They're just not going to be exciting. Doesn't mean they can't win. Doesn't mean they can't um, surprise some people and upset some teams. But the Islanders are not a super fun team to watch. So that's, you know, very trust. It's, it's, it's hard when you have a player as exciting as Matthew Barzell. And at the same time, you almost feel like in that offense and with that team, he doesn't really have the ability to be himself. But the Islanders move on. They beat the Panthers. And then you look at the Wild and Canucks, which I honestly, when I looked at this, I thought the Canucks were going to handle the Wild a lot easier. They end up winning this series. They move on. But the Minnesota Wild were a team that a lot of dysfunction at the beginning of the year, you know, firing Bruce Boudreaux, firing uh, their general manager who had only been there about a year or less than that or something crazy. Bill Guerin comes in. They've made some changes. They've made some trades. They're still an older team that I still think has a lot to mold. Bill Guerin's got a lot of molding to do when it comes to this team still and really put his handprint on it. We'll see what happens in the lottery. Uh, and if his team can and maybe get that ball, get that star, and Alexis Lafreniere, that would be phenomenal for a team like Minnesota. But they lose to the Canucks. Not surprisingly so, Alex Stalock was their starting goaltender throughout this. So the Wild and Panthers out. Another series, though, that I did pay a lot of attention to, given, you know, I did grow up playing hockey in Arizona, the Predators and the Coyotes. Can the Coyotes get back into the playoffs? The last time they had won a playoff series was back in 2012 against the Nashville Predators. Very different teams, obviously, from back then till now. Kind of interesting that the Predators, even in this spot, given that you've looked at over their team over the last several years, have always had great defense. And they've worked really hard to bring in a lot of high-octane offensive-style players, or at least just players that they feel will fit their offense well and really help them balance out their team. The amount of defensemen that this team has moved on from is insane, yet... Uh, they still have one of the best decors in the league. You may even be able to say they have still the best top four of any team right now. This team added Matt Duchesne last offseason. They, a couple years ago, went and got Johansson for Seth Jones. They got Kyle Turris. They made the move for Philip Forsberg a few years before that. Like This team has really done a, a good job of balancing out their team. Yet again, they run into struggles. Some of the blame over the last couple of years has gone on Pekka Rene. They didn't even start him these playoffs. They started UC Soros, who, I, I mean, I listened to Spit and Chicklets. RA even, you know, thought going into the series that Soros was going to be the one playing. So it wasn't that crazy that I guess Rene wasn't going to start this series. He he has a nice, comfortable contract for the next couple of years that's clearly going to be him just grooming Soros to be the full-time starter going forward. I don't think Soros or goaltending was the problem here, but they got beat by a better goalie. So again, they weren't beat because of Soros, but they could not handle getting through Darcy Kemper. They put on all of the offensive pressure. Uh, the last couple games of that series, um, the first period of the last two games, they had like 20-plus shots. It was just an onslaught that Darcy Kemper had to handle to help the Coyotes advance, but it worked. It got it done. But when, you, when you were looking at... This style of the playoffs and the, this tournament style that the playoffs are, especially in this setup, a hot goalie, just like in any other playoffs, can get you through. And and Darcy Kemper, in my opinion, was the best goaltender from the regular season, but his injury and uh, the, the time missed really takes him out of the running 
um, to win the Vesna Trophy. But you look at the numbers that he had before he got hurt, before around Christmas. Granted, look, there was a lot of time he missed. And by the time he got back, the Coyotes never really were able to get back in that groove. But you look at how bad the Coyotes were while he was out and how good they were while he was in, that really shows you um, what Darcy Kemper brings to the table. But the Predators couldn't break through, couldn't get past him. And now here they are. They're now in the draft lottery. So, again, I'm going to finish recording today, and we will bring the results of the draft lottery in at the end here and of that Game 7 between um, – or, excuse me, Game 5. There are no Game 7s right now in these first qualifying matchups between the Leafs and Blue Jackets. But So the Predators get eliminated in an overtime, the goal by Brad Richardson there at the end, and the Predators are out, and the Coyotes move on to the official playoffs for the first time since 2012. Now – <laughs> you want to talk about controversies, we got one immediately when it came to the Jets and Flames series. This one was a tough one for the Jets. They weren't really, I, I wasn't anticipating them to advance anyway. A bit banged up, really struggling on the defensive end. Connor Hellebuck has really overhandled the, the issues they've had on defense and really made up for the fact that you know, they've, they've lost so much defensively over the last two seasons, including, you know, the will they or won't they get Dustin Bufflin back at some point. They obviously did not, and he likely will not play in the NHL ever again. And that's a huge hole. I mean, that's a, a very unique player that Winnipeg has to just kind of move on and, and try to still compete. Calgary is a physical team, a skilled team, one that's been in the playoffs the last couple of years, has a lot of good young players. This was going to maybe be a good series if everyone was healthy, but... We had issues where right away Patrick Laine was injured and did not have a lot of time in this series. But on top of that, Mark Shifley. This was an interesting, this was a weird play. It's really unfortunate that the result of it was what it was. And then on top of that, the controversy surrounding it, trying to levy this with some amount of intent for Matthew Kachuk. But both guys are going towards the boards. It was really hard to tell what happened when you first watched it. Uh, at first, it looked like an awkward hit from behind into the boards, potentially. But then when you looked at it again, you realized Kachuk didn't push off at all. So they're both going for a puck that's off the side. The way Kachuk, that's off the boards, the way Kachuk kind of came in and then immediately skated off when Shifley went down made it seem like he kind of went for a check. Shifley went down. He realized he wasn't. there wasn't much contact needed to be made there, and he kind of followed the puck and the play and moved on. And Shifley immediately falls to the ground, screaming in pain, and you're really wondering what happened. I, at first, I thought maybe a knee buckled into the boards or something like that. We look back at the replay. You see it was a skate. Kachuk's skate comes up a bit as he's slowing down. I believe it was his right leg um, that comes up. It did go across the back of the leg. If you know anything about gear, you know that everything around the front and probably a good like 90% of your leg is going to be covered, but that back calf does have some openings. Now, the straps are there, and some of the you know, Velcro and some of the protective parts of some of these guys' shin guards now go kind of all the way around the back. But if a skate goes across there, it's going to be dangerous. And to have that opening there where it was, where the skate went across, it's just a tough play to see happen. But it's clearly an accident. There's not really much more to dissect when you see that. Uh, and it was just a really unfortunate play. The problem is it was Matthew Kachuk. And the only other instance we have of this is the exact same scenario where you're looking at the top player or one of the top two players on the other team and a guy who has a dirty past or a seemingly dirty past uh, at the result of injuring them with the skate. And it's really tough. But you look back at the Matt Cook play several years ago with Eric Carlson where 
that one looks worse, and Matt Cook is far more known for exclusively having kind of a dirty sense around him. Matthew Kuchuk is a far more skilled player than Matt Cook ever was. But Matt Cook had his instances, and with all of them, it looked like there was clear intent. When it comes to Matthew Kachuk, his situations are a little more reckless. It's a little more of a guy just kind of always at 110, and that's his style, and that's why he was a top six pick in the NHL, and that's why he's such a valuable player to his team. Likely the future captain in a couple of years of that franchise, I would imagine, which is probably really going to bother some people. But look, I grew up watching his father. Keith Kachuk was a very difficult guy to deal with, a tough player that you did not want to try to handle, um, generally in front of the net. Now, Matthew is not nearly as big, and I don't know if I'd call him a power forward in the same way Keith was, but he's got the same attitude Keith has. He's got more skill than Keith, uh, and we're talking about a guy who scored, you know, he was one of the greatest American-born players of all time, and and Matthew Kachuk is is... Clearly, he and Brady are clearly, you know, a chip off the old block with their style of play. But to say that this was on purpose, so there was intent here, is really difficult. We're really drawing um, uh, into a difficult spot when we're trying to slow these plays down and then try to prove intent. His leg is lifting as he's slowing down. I just don't think that there's any, any level of intent to go across the leg the way it did. It was so quick, uh, and it's just really unfortunate to hear the press conference after the fact. Paul Maurice is a head coach that I really respect and I really enjoy. He's got great sound bites all the time. He's just a, a unique coach that's willing to kind of answer things and say things. And generally, it's always good to hear his take on something. This was unfortunate. You understand why he's so angry and what this could have been. From what it sounds like, it wasn't as bad as initially um, it looked. But at the time, you know, he's thinking maybe, you know, if this is a, a scratched Achilles or a sliced Achilles. This could be a very, very long recovery for Mark Shifley, something where he, he could never maybe truly be the same. So it's it's a you understand his anger. But the 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 so throwing out the level of intent the way he did was really frustrating and unfortunate to hear it the way he did. And the incident in itself overall an unfortunate one. But they lose Shifley, they lose Patrick Line as well, I believe in that same game, and really there was no coming back. The Jets won the next game, but I think Calgary won the next two, and just like that, the series was over. And these, again, these were five-game qualifiers, so these were not full seven-game series. If you don't get out to a good run or anyone goes down, you know, these series could end quickly, and a lot of them did. So that was, that was all those primary series, and now we've got another one that's going to wrap up. So we're going to, I'm going to watch that game. We're going to watch the draft lottery. And we're going to come back and finish up the rest of this podcast. Okay, so we now have the results of Game 5 between the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Toronto Maple Leafs. I also have the results of the draft lottery. We'll get to that at the very end. I'm not surprised for a lot of reasons. And again, a lot of this has to do with, with John Tortorella. And we're going to get to him here very quickly. But it's tough when you look at this Columbus team and really try to determine how far they can maybe go because they just don't have the same level of talent that a lot of these other teams have. But playing for John Tortorella has to be some level of an experience uh, for so many different reasons. This guy is showing why he is without a doubt about to win his third Jack Adams award. I think he's been nominated five times. He's won it twice. 
probably the hardest coach in the league to play for when it comes to what he demands from you, primarily if you're an offensive type player. You have to be a two-way style player, no matter what, when it comes to playing for John Tortorella. And he will drag that out of you, or you will not play. And you saw it throughout you know, moments of this series. You, you look back a few years ago, and you look at the, the draft where the Blue Jackets selected Pierre-Luc Dubois. And especially because Jesse Puyo-Yarvi went fourth to the Edmonton Oilers, and a lot of people had Puyo-Yarvi clearly going third. Now, first of all, I, if you know anything about me, I love center icemen, so it's not a, a bad play for me to, to go after a center iceman in that spot as opposed to a big scoring winger. But at the same time, the way the majority of the experts had it, Puyo-Yarvi was supposed to go three. So there was a little, not controversy, but it was worthy of discussing. Puyo-Yarvi at this point in time is not even in the NHL and is not even really talking to the Edmonton Oilers, while Pierre-Luc Dubois was showing off in the bubble uh, in this series. And there's a moment in this series where an FU match is going back and forth between Tortorella and Pierre-Luc Dubois, back and forth on the bench. And this is going to happen when you play for this man. You're going to have time, and not just this coach, but lots of coaches. And there's some that love it when their players yell back at them. That's what they're trying to get out of them. They're trying to get any level of emotion they can from them in that moment to really pull out what they know is inside that player. And that is not something that a lot of players can play well with. I can tell you growing up, I had coaches that were able to get that out of me, and they were my favorites. They were the best. Um, I hated them in the moment, but you realize it when you look back or even throughout that season that this coach is doing what's best for you. And if you can handle doing that, it's the perfect situation for you to be at their best, and that's exactly what that coach wants. They want to be able to have the players that are willing to dig deep and get more that maybe they didn't even realize they had inside themselves, but there's a ton of players that just don't like to work that hard. There's a lot of guys that just have so much ability that they would rather be in situations where you know their offensive capabilities are highlighted, and they can more focus on um, showing off with their statistics and everything else. Not trying to point at a team like Toronto, but that's a team that's all offense, and you look at how many players are making a ridiculous amount of money. It's not like I'm going to say that Toronto shouldn't want players like John Tavares and Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and, and, and Nylander and, and all of these guys that they have for the price tags that they have them for. You understand why those players maybe command the amount of money that they do, and you understand why Toronto wants them. But at the same time, they have them, the expectations are there, and once again, they crumble. And I am not surprised at all that it's to a team like Columbus, because it, Toronto is built to get beaten by a team that works hard defensively the way that Columbus does. And if you have guys that are willing to work that hard for a guy like Tortorella, you're going you're gonna to take down teams like this, and it's not surprising. Toronto pulled the rabbit out of their hat in that game four with three goals in the last four minutes, literally three minutes and 55 seconds left in the third period. They were down 3-0, and the talent that they have pulled them back in. But watching them get shut out in the elimination game five proves exactly the situation that we're talking about. So Toronto joins the draft lottery group. Again, we'll get to that later. But I'm not surprised at all they lost to a team like Columbus with the way that John Tortorella gets this stuff out of these guys. We talk about him yelling at Pierre-Luc Dubois. What did he do in that game three? He scores a hat trick and gets the overtime winner in that one. It's, well, I mean, what an answer, right? I mean, that's exactly what you would expect, and that's what Tortorella does. It's funny now that when you look at this guy as a head coach, I feel like it's the cool thing now to, to love and appreciate Torts 
where for so many years people just hated on him and said, you know, how can people play for that guy? And it all depends on what you're doing, right? When he was in New York, there was a lot more press around him because he's in New York City. They were a generally successful team. When he went to Vancouver, it was a situation that never made sense. He didn't have anyone that really fit the mold that he needed. There were a bunch of guys that just didn't play the style of hockey that he needs. Again, you talk about the demanding style that he has, and you give him a team with Alex Burrows and uh, the Sedins, it's just not that style of, of tort-style hockey. You see what happens when he gets guys that are willing to play for him. So on top of all of this, I'm telling you that this guy deserves the Jack Adams, and you look at the players he lost last season on the upset of the Tampa Bay Lightning when they lost Panarin, they lost Bobrovsky, they lost Duchesne. But they, you know, those were a motivated group of guys that helped them beat that Tampa Bay Lightning team. All those guys are gone, and they still come out and get a job done where people thought that they, you know, they were easily outmanned, and they come through and get it done. It's just an unbelievable performance. I, I would love to say that I could continue to talk about Austin Matthews and some of these other fantastic young offensive players to watch in these playoffs, but no more McDavid, no more Crosby, no more Matthews. This is a real opportunity for a lot of different guys to step up and take this spotlight, take this playoff spotlight. You look at guys like McKinnon, um, you know, a lot of guys in Philly, we'll get to them. Um, but there's there's a ton of other stars out there that now get their chance to to showcase what they have, and they need to take this opportunity. You know, all the focus that would normally be on those guys is up for grabs, and I can't wait to see, you know, who takes hold of it. But let's briefly now, we're going to go over the matchups that we have in front of us that are left behind. I'm not going to you know, go into a long, detailed analysis. Let's just briefly go over these, and then let's enjoy some playoff hockey, and we'll break them down as we go from there. I've never been a big guy when it comes to predictions. Just so many things can happen, especially in these types of series. We're not talking about one game. We're talking about real series here. The five-game series are out. We're back to seven-game series. So let's look at the matchups, and let's decide some winners, shall we? In the Western Conference, your top seed, the Vegas Golden Knights. So this is a team, how much they've gone through in those couple of seasons is unbelievable. Getting all the way to the Stanley Cup Final their first year, reloading and dealing with their first level of real controversy mixed with, you know, playoff disappointment, whatever you want to call it, their, their situation with San Jose. I think more people are accepting of them as a real team, having gone through that adversity, whatever you want to call it. But... This is a team that's done so well at reloading. Yes, they got to the finals on so many different factors that led to that team getting to the finals, and you could really hone in on you know, the chip on the shoulder of all the guys that got exiled from their previous teams and were now together on a team of misfits ready to get to the finals, what have you. What George McPhee and the rest of that front office was able to do, they brought in an entire new first line. When you look at Max Pacioretty, um, you look at Stasny, you look at Mark Stone, all the new different players they brought in now to back up or potentially, you know, get a good amount of playing time in himself. Robin Leonard comes in to play alongside Mark Andre Fleury. This is a good hockey team. Alex Martinez or Alec Martinez, excuse me. I was really curious to see who was going to get him. He's got one of the best contracts out there for someone to go nab, and a, a playoff team like Vegas goes and gets him. That was a great deal for them. This is a really good team. And I can genuinely see this Vegas team being one of the harder teams to knock out of these playoffs. And I think, you know, they should have beat San Jose. They got screwed last year. And I think they were going to make a run last year. I picked them to be the, the team out of the West last season again because I thought they had the best goaltender at the time. 
in Marc-Andre Fleury. Still has the most experience of anyone in the Western Conference as far as winning is concerned. And I think this is going to be a difficult matchup for the Chicago Blackhawks. But the Chicago Blackhawks, a team that shouldn't be here in the first place. We're talking about a 12 seed. Uh, this is a 1 versus 12 matchup, technically. A team that wouldn't have most likely qualified for the playoffs. I guess who knows how their regular season would have ended if it ended normally. But they did what they had to do. Won their tournament-style five-round qualifier. And here they are. Now, there's a little storyline to go with the fact that Robin Leonard was on the Chicago Blackhawks. Wanted to stay in Chicago. Kind of fight out with Corey Crawford. It was going to be interesting who would get maybe the new contract. Blackhawks didn't decide to resign him traded him to Vegas, and now they really just strengthened their next opponent. We'll see. Again, I don't think it's a major storyline to focus on. I think it's a good thing that we get to see Chicago have some guys that people were kind of counting out over the last little while. People really kind of crapping on Jonathan Taves, and it's, it was disappointing to see. Again, I don't, this is not about individual preferences of players or anything like that, but when he got in the top 100 players of all time category, and some other names weren't, I thought justifiably so. His numbers have dipped since then, and a lot of people have really criticized him, saying he's not the player he used to be. When you look at the end of his career and all the accomplishments this guy has, there's really no correlation to how much negative attention he's received at this point in his career. I, I think he's proving that again. He had a ton of big goals in this first round series, in this qualifying series. Patrick Kane has obviously not gone anywhere. He's still just as good as he was before. And this is a fun team to watch still. So this will be a fun-ish series, I think, because of those guys. I still expect Vegas to flex their muscle and win this one. Dallas and Calgary. So Calgary had the series with, with the Jets. They looked rather, um, they looked good, but again, I don't think it was a really tough test. It was not a full Jets team. It was not a team that really pushed them as much as we would have liked to see in that first round that I think a healthy Jets team would have done. Connor Hellebuck looked okay but not as good as he was in the regular season, so it's tough to fully tell. Dallas is like a dark horse for a lot of teams, where a lot of people were focusing on them um, coming into the bubble and kind of saying, look, if there's like a sneaky good team in the West that people aren't really talking about or thinking about, maybe it's the Dallas Stars. I like their team. Ben Bishop could be injured. That's going to be a serious problem. If he is, I don't expect them getting out of this round. Um, but what's really curious is, you know, the... The balance scoring of the Dallas Stars, I guess, because Tyler Sagan, the only guy, I think, even over 50 or 60 points this season, um, which is crazy to hear. But, you know, they still have the higher upper, upper echelon talent when you look at Sagan and Ben. And then they have some really good, exciting young players, Rupe Hintz and Miro Heiskanen, John Klingberg. Dallas is a good team, a fun team. This should be a good series. I think it's going to be a close series, but it's really going to depend. If Ben Bishop is hurt, I think Calgary should win this series. If he's not, I expect Dallas to win, but I expect this to be a good six, seven game series. And I, I, I like both teams in here, and I think it'll be a good, fun playoff matchup, a good physical playoff matchup. So I expect Dallas to win if they are healthy. If they don't have Ben Bishop, I, I'm going to go with Calgary. Uh, the defending champion, St. Louis Blues versus the Vancouver Canucks. And I, again, I notably mentioned earlier, I did not watch a ton of the Vancouver Minnesota series. But I do like a lot of the young players at Vancouver. The one storyline we've talked about when it comes to the Canucks over the last year, they made some interesting free agent signings, giving a little bit of money away to some guys you didn't expect them to. Did they? The move for JT Miller was good, but there were still some criticisms for, did they spend the money in the right places? They have some young guys that are going to need contracts. And the one kind of interesting storyline this year was that it looked like they were talking about trading Brock Besser just because really they know they have to pay him soon. And they already have to pay Elias Pettersson, 
and they know that they have to pay Quinn Hughes, both of which are phenomenal young talents. And they're really excited. They really hit home runs on those draft picks. Brock Besser, though, was a guy who made an all-star team his first year in the league. I don't think anyone anticipated Brock Besser to be uh, as good as he was right away. Uh, You know, I think a 30-goal scorer in his rookie season. So you have all these guys still for right now, and I think that's it's fun, and we'll see how they can compete in these playoffs with this unit. But they may have to move on from one of those guys because they can't really give them all the contracts that they likely deserve, which is a tough spot to be in. But that's kind of more what I think about with this Vancouver team. Fun, young, I love Travis Green. I like this, you know, as a head coach, I like this unit going forward. I feel better about their future. I don't see them making any long runs in this playoffs. But Elias Pettersson is going to be a superstar. Quinn Hughes is going to be right there with Kale McCarr when it comes to talking about the best, young, exciting offensive defensemen in the game. They're going to be one of the more fun teams to watch in the three-on-three overtime. Do they make a long run in these playoffs? Probably not, and especially because they're running into the St. Louis Blues, who looked a little lethargic at times in this bubble so far, but we're talking about the defending champs, who I said after last year that maybe we're going to struggle to kind of come back after going through the, the tough, long... A lot of teams just aren't the same after, you know, either winning or losing the Cup, getting all the way to the finals. It's such a tough, long road to then come out of that isn't always easy that next season. They lost Vladimir Tarasenko right away to an injury, and it was like, okay, this Blues team is going to fall apart. They did the exact opposite. They went and got Justin Falk, which will be really intriguing going forward when we're talking about contracts because their captain, Alex Petrangelo's contract, is going to be up. Did they replace him with Justin Falk? Potentially, but for now, they have a a stacked decor, a ton of guys who were just on this team as they won a cup, a great coach in Craig Berube, very confident goaltender in, in Bennington who's now been their stud all season long. I see St. Louis winning this. I don't think it's going to be that difficult of a series for them. I think it'll be maybe intriguing if if Vancouver can kind of get in there a little bit and mix some things up, but I got the St. Louis Blues in this one, and I think five or six games at the most. Colorado and Arizona. This is a fun series. If I'm just looking at this blanket right away, Colorado's the better team. They have more superstar talent in that respect. But That also depends on what you're going to get out of Taylor Hall and Phil Kessel for Arizona. But when I look at the Colorado Avalanche, you look at that top line of Nathan McKinnon, Gabriel Landeskog, Miko Rantanen. That was the best top line in the league a year ago. I really, really, really loved the move to go get Nazem Kadri. I thought it was an incredibly short-sighted decision by Toronto to move on from Nazem Kadri the way they did. I thought it was a brilliant trade because they weren't going to have the money to re-sign Tyson Berry. They already knew that they had basically a replacement for him in Kale McCarr at 20 years old, 21 years old. So they move on from having to pay $8 million plus potentially to a guy, and they replace him with a second-line center that the last time he was in a second-line role had back-to-back 30-goal seasons and is known for you know sticking up for his teammates. You can look at it however you want when it comes to Nazem Kadri. I think more people than not will utilize the chance to kind of criticize him for the decisions he made while with Toronto, you know, getting suspended in back-to-back series against Boston, both times for sticking up for his teammates. And you can say, choose your battles, pick your spots, whatever you want to say. I want a guy like Nazem Kadri on my team, and I have no problem saying that. I think it was a great move for the Colorado Avalanche to go get him. I will say... I've watched this team in person. I live in Colorado now. I have seen these two goaltenders both perform, and they have both surprised me in a lot of ways. Frank Koo is far better than I gave him credit, 
and Grubauer is certainly better than I have said in the past. Having said that, Darcy Kemper is better than both of them, and I have no problem saying that part of things either. And I think he's playing better than both of them. And I think that is going to be the most intriguing part of this series. I look at the high-end offensive talent that Colorado has, maybe a little more depth overall. The Coyotes have, I think, four strong lines. It really depends on what you're going to get from them offensively, though. The amount of shots that they had facing them against Nashville was insane. And that level of hockey will not get you to the next round. If they're doing that again with Colorado, and Nathan McKinnon is getting that many opportunities that some of the guys in Nashville were getting, this is going to be a quick series for the Colorado Avalanche. And again, I think they're the better team overall. I think they're more primed and ready to win right now. Having said that, I love this Coyotes team. I expect more from some of the guys that we're not really getting offensively. I look at Clayton Keller, who's been good, not great. Taylor Hall has scored more than I think. I expected him kind of to be a little more on the wayside. It's still tough to tell. Phil Kessel has fit in well, but he's not scoring the high levels that he was at other times. But a lot of people tend to put that on the system that the Coyotes have or have had. I just think it's tough for anyone to play for the Phoenix Coyotes and, or excuse me, the Arizona Coyotes, and and put up big numbers. It just hasn't really happened over their entire time in Arizona. I mean, Keith Kachuk is the only 50-goal scorer, and that was back in 1997. I was hopeful maybe that Kessel could be like a 40-type guy in Arizona, but he never really hit that type of consistency throughout this regular season. But once again, when it comes to the Coyotes, you're getting a lot of the other players putting up points that more of the types of guys that you wouldn't project putting up points the way they do you're getting guys like christian fisher and brad richardson christian dvorak michael grabner uh, Vinny henestroza nick schmaltz like connor garland these are the types of guys that tend to put up the points in coyotes uniforms and not the taylor halls not the phil kessels not clayton keller so if you're getting the offense of the guys you you should be getting it from, along with this level of depth that the Coyotes have. You know, they're hockey the hard way. This is a dangerous team when you have a hot goaltender like Darcy Kemper. But if they don't get their offense together and they continue to have the level of shots against that they did against Nashville with the offensive type players that Colorado has, don't expect the Coyotes to get through this first round. But if you're getting production from Taylor Hall and Phil Kessel and Clayton Keller, along with Connor Garland and, and Michael Grabner, and Vinny Henestroza, and guys like this. The Coyotes are going to be a sneaky, dangerous team. So it's all going to depend on that. I'm leaning more towards the Colorado Avalanche. But you know what? My, my final pick when I make this bracket it could be the Coyotes. Because I, you know, it's not a problem for me to rest back on a dominant goaltender and the way Kemper's playing right now, as opposed to um, leaning on offensive production. Now, let's head over to the Eastern Conference. This is... It's a little difficult for me to try to contain my excitement. I am a Philadelphia Flyers fan. Again, I'm a Coyotes fan as well. But from a fandom side of things, the Flyers couldn't have looked better from the way they were at the end of the regular season to how they have performed inside the bubble. They went from the fourth seed to the first seed through the round-robin play. I thought this team was potentially going to be putting themselves in a spot for the first seed. Maybe not overall in the league because Boston had such a lead. But I, I thought they would at least take the division lead away from the Washington Capitals based on how they were finishing at the regular season. So I was so disappointed when the regular season ended because of where they were and how they were playing and what I wanted to see them accomplish. We get into the round robin, they sweep everybody, put themselves in first, and it doesn't even matter. So they really set themselves up with this first matchup. Again, here is a 12 seed that advanced when no one thought they would. Montreal, we talked about it briefly, them getting the 
the victory, the nod over the Pittsburgh Penguins. And what did I just talk about with, with Colorado and Arizona? Darcy Kemper, how great he played. What was the primary reason the Montreal Canadiens upset the Pittsburgh Penguins? Carey Price. It wasn't just consistency. We're talking about, you know, really being the Carey Price of old. This guy's gotten criticism. I think there's, uh, on previous podcasts with other co-hosts, I have had to continue to defend my position. I have said this steadfast. I still think Carey Price is the most consistent goalie we've had in the league over the last 10 years. Now, have there been guys that have had better seasons sporadically throughout that time? Yes. We're talking about a guy who won the MVP, I think, in 2016. It's just something you don't generally see in hockey. It's like pitchers winning the MVP in baseball. They have their own awards. You generally don't see them get the outright MVP as well. But that shows you just how good Carey Price is. You look at the times that this team has been eliminated early or didn't make the playoffs at all, how well was Price playing? You look at when they went far, and you look at what they had overall as a roster, how well was Price playing? Generally, that correlates to how far this team goes. So I still feel that that is a really good thing to have if you're the Habs. The problem is you're facing a guy who looked up to him and looks like an exact version of him in net for the Philadelphia Flyers. For the first time in my life as a fan, I am 30, soon to be 31 years old. This is the first time in my lifetime I have not had to worry about the goaltending position of the Philadelphia Flyers. The next Carey Price is Carter Hart. I have no problem saying that. That was the prototype that he was going to be considered anyway coming into the league. It was his idol growing up, and now he gets a chance to face him and beat him in his first real playoffs. He's so young, but everyone had made the same comments about him that he doesn't look 20, 21. That instead, everything about him, he's just so much more mature than someone of that age, and to have the heavy load that's being put on his shoulders of expectations of, of, of righting the wrongs that have been in, in, in net for the Philadelphia Flyers for the last 30-plus years, he can handle it. And that's what's crazy is they feel like there's no issue there. On top of that, I initially criticized the move to bring in Kevin Hayes. Because of the amount of money, not really, you look at the short period of time he played for the Winnipeg Jets, but you know, you looked at his overall game, you're like, okay, what are we really going to get out of this guy? There could not have been a more perfect move made by Chuck Fletcher, but when you really look at everything Chuck Fletcher has done, he's made incredible moves across the board. He got rid of all the garbage players that had no business being on this team. They're gone. All of the young guys are getting their opportunity, and they're nailing it. And one of them was bringing up Carter Hart when I didn't think he was ready. He nailed that too. But Kevin Hayes has fit into this team like a glove. He is perfect, exactly what they needed. They lost Nolan Patrick, so if they didn't get Kevin Hayes and also lost Nolan Patrick, they'd have a huge void through the center of the ice, and they would probably be expecting Claude Giroux to play center again. This team is so much better now because of just slotting Kevin Hayes into that second-line center role. He's an incredible defensive forward, along with how well he's meshed with some of his other offensive players. Travis Konechny was the one all-star for this team this year, but him on a line with Kevin Hayes and Scott Lawton. These are three guys that work hard, work hard in the corners. They're skilled offensively. They're right now playing like the top line for the team. They're just so deep right now. I can't find a hole. And normally their holes are glaring. They have their offensive players. They have their decent um, defensive guys. But there was always generally a glaring hole somewhere. And it's not there. So I can't even really break this team apart. And the way that they're playing right now is going to be really 
really tough to beat. There's so many things about this tournament that are interesting and the fact that there is no travel, there's no home ice advantage. The two teams who are, the cities that we're in are already out. Edmonton and Toronto are both gone. So there's no real home ice advantage for anyone. There's no crowd, there's no none of that. This is the best opportunity we're gonna get to really see who's at their best and not have to deal with any of the side antics that sometimes get in the way for really proving who's the best team is. And if you're just playing your best right now in this format, it's a really good time to be good and a really good time to be in a, in a groove and on a roll, and that's what this team is right now. Can Carey Price you know, make things difficult for this team in this series? Sure. I don't think the offensive backside that the Habs have is going to be enough. I don't think Carter Hart's going to break I think you look at you know what Ivan Provorov has done defensively for the Flyers has been phenomenal as being the number one guy. You know Travis Sanheim has really stepped up. Philip Myers, if you don't know that name, you will. This is a really good, exciting team. Montreal's not getting in the way. I think we're, when we get to some of the other matchups, that's going to be really fun to see how Philly matches up. But this is a 12 seed we're talking about that shouldn't be here in the first place. I think Chicago on the other side and Montreal are both out after this. But yeah, in the East, I think Philly wins this in five maybe four and it's more just how well they're playing right now on top of the fact that i just think they're that much better of a team can carry price make that a different result to a certain extent absolutely will he we'll wait and see oh boy tampa bay and columbus so we're getting a rematch now when you look at everything i said about the columbus blue jackets and you look at what columbus was able to do against tampa last year tampa had one of the most dominant regular seasons we had ever seen kucherov coming off of a ridiculous regular season just firing on all cylinders was the Tampa Bay Lightning going into that first round against Columbus Columbus all the talk about the three pending free agents who all did leave we're all out of the playoffs now while Columbus is still moving on it just there was all these reasons why Columbus wasn't going to win that series and what did they do they won their first ever franchise series and they swept out the best team we had seen in a long time in Tampa last year so What's funny is I woke up this morning to multiple texts of different people who sent me their brackets, and all of which had Tampa losing to Columbus in the first round. I understand why you would make that pick. I'm not opposed to cheering for that pick, especially as a Flyers fan. I am all for Tampa getting eliminated again. I think this Columbus team was built to beat a team like Toronto. I'm not surprised at all that Toronto faltered to the Columbus Blue Jackets team with all that offensive talent that doesn't work hard enough defensively. Tampa Bay is a bit of a different story. Guys like Ryan McDonough, and we'll have to wait and see when it comes to Victor Hedman. He looks like he could be out again. That would be huge uh, and really puts a lot more on Ryan McDonough defensively. I still think Tampa's just too good, and I think they've learned enough to not put themselves in that same situation. They were so easily breakable last year. I just don't see it happening. Can Columbus get it done? Can John Tortorella get it done? Without question they can will they i just think tampa gets it done this time again i'm cheering for columbus i'm all about watching you know john tortorella pick apart some of these superstar laden teams and find ways to get the job done i just think that the overwhelming amount of ability that tampa bay has you know braden point really proving what a stud he is and adding to their ridiculous depth tampa should get that done but hey, I'm pulling for a long, drawn-out, long, drawn-out series. Let's see what Columbus can do there, but my pick is Tampa. The Washington Capitals and the New York Islanders. So this is kind of fun. I don't think it'll be a super exciting series because anything with Barry Trotz and the Islanders, probably not going to be that exciting. You know, you didn't really focus on Barry Trotz's style being that difficult when you have the offensive talent that he had when he was in Washington. But being with the Islanders now, he's got a real good core of guys that are willing to play his style of hockey 
It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be exciting. It's not going to be a lot of offense. But they will stifle good offensive teams. And they can really make things difficult for those teams and make them question themselves a bit. When you have a good defensive team that can slow down a high-octane offense, it's easy to get into your own head when you're on that offensive side of things and can't get things done the way you're used to doing. And I think Barry Trotz is loving the opportunity to get a chance to silence his old team in the Washington Capitals. It's been interesting to watch how Washington has developed since winning the cup. You look at just the aura around them. They just feel like, you know, you no longer have that, yeah, well, they're not getting out of this round, not because they were playing Pittsburgh in the second round or whatever, but you, you just had this level of the, the cloud over them. They couldn't get over the hump. They didn't have the belief in themselves to kind of get through some difficult series. That seems to be gone now that they've won the cup. It's been two seasons now, but when you look at them and you pick them in matchups, you don't really have that cloud hanging over them anymore, and it's easier to see them just breaking through difficult things. This feels like one of those difficult things they should be able to break through. Will it be a difficult series? Yeah, I think it will be. Barry Trotz, again, knows the Washington Capitals intimately, and he has tons of insight on what he needs to do to slow down that offense and slow down that team. Ovechkin looked good at the start of the bubble, pre-whatever games you want to call them, before the qualifiers. Kind of slowed down in the rest of the round robin. Washington looked okay, not great. John Carlson didn't play. I don't know if he played at all in the round robin. If he's back and they're healthy, I know Lars Eller uh, left the bubble and had a child, and he will come back, and he has to quarantine for a few days, but he should be back at least. Maybe he misses one game of the series uh, at the most. So I think with that team's healthy and they're going, Braden Holtby has to be the guy fully because I believe Samsonov is injured. But Braden Holtby, you know, I think there's no no issues relying on him. And overall, I, I love the team. I love the addition of Brendan Dillon. Tom Wilson is just as scary as ever. If you're a star on the other team, look out because he's coming for you. I still got the Washington Capitals. So I think they win this series, but I think it's a tough one to watch at times. But I think they drag it out. I think there's some overtime games. I think Ovi, you know, shines when he needs to, as we're used to seeing. And I think the Washington Capitals get it done. Six games. We'll go with six. The last series to talk about here before we talk about the draft lottery, Boston, Carolina. Now, this is a fun one because the Carolina Hurricanes, again, we, we talked briefly about it. They smashed right through the New York Rangers. There was some debate about they were the only team that complained about the format going in because they didn't want to face the Rangers. And you understand why, because of the difficulties they have with them in the regular season. But man, did Carolina come out and just walk right through New York like it wasn't really uh, a matchup worth discussing. It's funny that they brought up the concerns that they did because when the, when the games got going, Carolina was the far superior team. The Rangers, I think, are trending upwards. You know, to have a guy like Artemi Panarin on a team that technically shouldn't have made the playoffs at all and didn't make the real playoffs, they still had an MVP candidate with them on their team. Mika Zibanejad, I think, is one of the most underrated number one centers in the league. When you really look at his numbers per game, points per game, goals per game this year, he was the best. Uh, he didn't have, you know, upwards of 48 like Ovechkin and Pasternak and I think Matthews was up there as well, like 47. But if you look at per game, he missed a good chunk of the season. And he was, I think, had more goals per game than any of them. So I think New York's trending upwards. I think they have two young goalies that it looks like. I mean, we'll see what happens when it comes to the uh, expansion draft and who will have two good goalies uh, for long. But the Rangers, I, I think, are in a good spot going forward. But Carolina walked right through them, handled their business. They went and got 
they went and made several moves before the trade deadline that were really interesting that I don't think people were paying a ton of attention to. And now when you look back at the roster, you're like, man, this team is stout. Because they had a few defensemen last year that people discovered, guys like um, Pesci and Jacob Slavin. I don't think those were household names, but I think people know them now. They added to these guys. They added Brady Shea from the New York Rangers, one of the best young defensemen that they had in their group. They went and got Sammy Vatman, who is far from the guy he used to be, I think, you know, two teams ago in Anaheim. A couple years ago, that was a really good Sammy Vatanen. Um, but I think you add him to this core of guys, damn, this is a really good young team. To go get Vinny Trocek, to go get Brady Shea, to go get Sammy Vatanen, I think they even threw in another defenseman in there as well. It's just, I think this is a really, really good team that we're not focusing on them celebrating anymore. This is about this team being a good hockey team. Uh, and I think they're going to be a really tough out for a lot of people. I think they really love playing for Rod Brindamore. I think his style as a... You look at his style of play as a player, I think is still comes through with the way he is as a coach. It's very similar to Craig Berube, where I think the players have no problem looking back at not just hearing what their coach has to say, but they look at them as players and see that they were guys that brought it every night. And I think they just have so much respect for what they were as players, that it's hard not to respect them as a coach. And I think that they play to the style of their head coach. And I think Carolina is going to be a tough out for a lot of teams. You look at the Boston Bruins, no one has looked worse in the bubble of teams. This is the President's Trophy winning team, the Boston Bruins. They were the best team in the regular season, yet come in as a four seed because they were so bad in the round robin. That top line of guys, their top core of guys that are a little bit older this is some of the question of, you know, a team that went through the seven games uh, all the way going to the finals against St. Louis last year. Can they kind of come through all of this and really get their, their legs going again after the four-month layoff? They have some of the, you know, can, can guys like Bergeron and Chara really get going in the same way? I wouldn't think that it would be a problem, but what we've seen so far has not been good. They, they have not looked at all like they were. But again, I just, they're so deep, you know, if Rosk is really on, I think they're really tough to beat. Charlie McAvoy is a really good, fun, young defenseman who I think in the next couple seasons is really going to have to step up his workload and really prove how good he is. But I think they have a gem there in McAvoy. I think an underrated defenseman in, in Brennan Carlo and guys like that. I mean, Tory Krug is going to have to get paid here soon. I like a lot of their other young offensive players as well, and Jake DeBrusque. And I, I think they're just, I think they're still, it's sneaky, and I, I'm curious how they're going to show up in these first couple games against Carolina just because it's so easy to just be like, eh, they don't look good right now. They're going to get smoked by this really good young Carolina team that's just playing so well again. But I look at the Hurricanes, I look at Morazic, and I look at Reimer, and I'm still scratching my head on how that team has been as good as they are with those two goaltenders. I think when the going gets tough, I don't trust either one of them. I would clearly take Rosk over either one of them. But, you know, what Boston will show up, that's what we have to determine. And I am very hesitant to just assume that the Bruins team that we've seen so far in this bubble is going to be who we're going to get from the jump. Can you flip it on like a light switch? No. I don't think that's just something that teams can do. But I'm not about to rule out the Boston Bruins and say that they're just going to get worked here. Now, they did handle this Carolina team in the playoffs last year after Carolina beat Washington in seven. Then they, um, I believe they swept the Islanders. Uh, and they went all the way to the conference finals, and then they got swept by Boston. I don't. So I think Carolina has a little bit in there where they, you know, they want to get Boston back for 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 losing to them in the playoffs the year before. 
and they're also just playing better than them, so I'm really curious to see how this all works out. But I'm not about to immediately write off the Boston Bruins and say, well, they haven't looked good so far, but it's a difficult spot to be in because, again, I, I don't think anyone can just kind of flip that switch and turn on you know, playoff mode, so to speak. So Boston's got to figure it out, but I think they have the right guys in the locker room to figure it out. I think this will be a really fun series. I can see it going six or seven. Again, I don't care when it comes to picks. This is not what I do this for, is for predictions. You know, whatever happens, happens. I like breaking it down after the fact and talking about it after we've already seen it happen. I don't care who wins this series. Let's say Carolina wins it in seven. But I'm not going to be surprised. In the, and I'm saying that primarily because of the Boston we've seen so far. And I want to see how they kind of turn that around. But I'm not going to be surprised at all if they figure it out and they get back to playing the way they have over the last while. People keep saying that their window's closing, that the, you know you look at Marchand and uh, Pasternak and Bergeron and all of these top guys. You know, Pasternak's young, but you know Marchand and Bergeron and, and Chara, these guys have been doing this for a long time. David Krejci, they've been around a long time, and they've been doing this for a while. And how long can you go through these long playoff series? You, you look at Chicago and how tough I think it was for those guys to go through all of those long playoff series for like six straight years of getting at least to the conference finals. It's just a tough style to play in, and you can't really you know, show up maybe all the time when you're expected to. Boston's in that window. of, of They've had so much playoff experience over the last several years. I mean, they won the Cup in 2011. They've been a relevant team since. They had two years in there where they weren't really the same team, and they went and got some nice draft picks out of it. So I expect them to still be there and still perform, and we'll have to wait and see how it goes down. Let's go with Carolina in seven. Don't really care who wins it. I think it's going to be great hockey regardless. But as a fan, I just think it's going to be a good series. Now, one last thing to discuss. It happened today. This will probably come out tomorrow morning, so it happened yesterday if you're listening to this now. The draft lottery. There was a lot of... I, I was, you know, every little step of the way throughout this bubble so far... I've had friends texting me like, oh, this, you know, as we're getting closer and closer to maybe the Oilers losing or the Pens losing or the Leafs losing, people were getting more antsy about which one of these teams was going to get Alexis Lafreniere. I mean, this is a, we're not talking about potentially McDavid or maybe even not even a McKinnon, but we're talking about what's anticipated to be a franchise player. So generally when you're talking about a guy this good joining a franchise and being an immediate impact player you're hoping he goes to a team that was as bad as Detroit was this season. They were painfully bad to watch. Buffalo is a franchise that just really needs another star to help out someone like Jack Eichel and just turn some things around for them overall as a franchise. You just you root for those teams getting these players. And it just gets really difficult as a fan to look at teams like Pittsburgh, who you know had three first overalls in their history, all of which were superstars, that are Hall of Famers, Marc-Andre Fleury, Sidney Crosby, and Mario Lemieux. They also got Evgeny Malkin as a number two overall behind Ovechkin one year. So you see teams that get those types of draft lottery luck, the, the Oilers getting four out of six years, getting McDavid and Hall and Nugent Hopkins. No one mentions Neil Yakupov, but he was still one of them. You know, you look at these teams, Toronto just got Austin Matthews not that long ago, and they got Marner fourth overall, and they signed a guy like Tavares. You don't want to see these teams get another one of these types of players, but that was where everyone's kind of putting their focus on. I try not to pay attention to it until we got closer to it, and, you know, the second these other playoffs are over, they jump right into this draft. But it's a difficult thing because you realized right after that first draft lottery was done that Detroit wasn't going to get him, Buffalo wasn't going to get him. A lot of these other teams that really deserved this pick wasn't going to get it. 
So then it was, okay, let's just hope it's not worst-case scenario for one of these other teams that really doesn't need him getting him. If he goes to Pittsburgh, you think about the options there. He goes to Edmonton, you think about the options there and the stars he can play with. Man, that's crazy. I was hoping for either Minnesota, because they've never had a number one overall pick, the Florida Panthers, because they're a team that I think just, based on what's left of who could get him, they're one of the ones I'm okay with, and Winnipeg as well. I, I would have been happy with any of those teams getting him. But really, everyone was just focusing on, you know, making sure it wasn't Edmonton, Pittsburgh, or Toronto, especially after Toronto lost last night. I threw out a Twitter poll two nights ago and said, who would you least like to get it out of those three teams? Pittsburgh was far and away the number one for a while. And then when it, the poll actually ended, Edmonton ended up being the, the number one that was picked. But you could see just the frustration from hockey fans that it could be any of these teams. After it's all said and done, the New York Rangers ended up winning the draft lottery phase two of the draft lottery you know i don't hate this i don't love it as a flyers fan i you know it's disappointing to see the rangers get two top picks um you know getting capo caco just a year ago and now you know getting alexis lafreniere here but at the same time you know it's it's a not the worst case scenario there were far worse situations that could have happened that didn't i'm okay with him going to the rangers overall i guess at the very least the nhl kept you on your toes paying attention to it here at the end. I mean, people aren't in love with how it went down, but it's tough, you know? I just, I, you want to make sure players go to some of these teams that are struggling and that they can kind of get them back going again. I, I'm really disappointed with the narrative that we're hearing a lot. I love Spit and Chicklets, love those guys, but I will say I'm disappointed when they say things like, man, if Jack Eichel doesn't have another, you know, if he has another year like this in Buffalo where they can't win, where the expectations go one way and then they fall apart, or McDavid, you know, you know, not getting in the playoffs again, if this happens again, that they want these guys demanding trades out of the teams that they're on right now. I hate that mentality. I'm not saying it's a bad thing if players leave their teams or if when they're free agents they decide to go somewhere else. I'm not saying the guys have to stay in the same franchise forever. But, man, there's something about players that aren't demanding trades out of a franchise that are willing to go through that grind. And it was said best, and I'm going to leave it on this, because it was a great quote as it's a little bit different because there's a lot more bouncing around in the NBA and it is an NBA reference here. But Damian Lillard was getting quote unquote roasted by, you know, a couple players on the Clippers in, in Beverly and Paul George for missing some free throws late in the game. And these guys are still going at him after the fact saying, yeah, you're, you know, Damian Lillard, you know, came out and said, like, he's done stuff on both of those guys to eliminate them from playoffs in the past. And he's got no problem doing it again. They're saying you're going to go home soon, blah, blah, blah and Damian Lillard with the best response possible. Keep switching teams, avoiding the grind. You boys is trash or chumps or something like that at the end, but avoiding the grind. I love that, that he fully anticipates, you know, staying his entire career in Portland and feeling like the grind should be getting it done with that unit and not bouncing teams and then showing off your exuberance with how excited you are for, for getting the job done. But the grind really wasn't the same, especially when you go to another team and win right away. I just love the mentality. Again, I'm not hating on anyone that leaves in free agency or does anything like that, but that grind of being, you know, respected in that way, especially when we're talking about franchise players like McDavid, not just franchise players, but generational players like McDavid, and you can include Jack Eichel. You just, you want to see those guys not move teams. You hope that they stay there and that their teams can smartly build around them, but they do need a little bit of luck. They need a little bit of that draft lottery luck that you know Pittsburgh and Edmonton has gotten the Rangers now getting a couple in a row good for them this is going to help get these teams back but 
when the lottery is what it is, you just kind of have to deal with the way the ball bounces. And for some teams, it works out better than others. We'll see how it all plays out. Man, I'm so happy that playoff hockey is back. So much to watch, so much to break down. While well, a little more gets going here, we'll be back to talk about it all. Thank you for joining me, Joaquin Rivera, here on episode two of the Quick Mitts podcast. Catch you later.